Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 257, and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN Supporter Crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you'd like to support the show and aren't already, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. James, we're recording this on 1010, a big day for you on the Hodinkee side of things. How are you holding oh, up? Oh, chicken with its head cut off, I suppose, is, is probably the right visual for everybody <laughs> involved. Yeah, no, we're just doing doing a lot right now, and I've got uh, three hours uh, until I head to the airport for Leica. I've got to deal with a furnace service call between now and then. I think this is my only travel, at least until mid-November or something like that. So Yeah, yeah. How have you been for the last week? You had a, a little trip down to NYC? Yeah, that, that felt like a sort of a blink of an eye sort of trip. It was it was just an overnight. I think I was there from midday on Wednesday until evening on Thursday. So it was uh, not sure it was the most necessary trip for me to take. Uh, you know, work wise, uh, nothing sure. really came out of it other than sort of networking and catching up with the folks from Carl F. Bucher, who are a, a delightful group and. Uh, but I got to, to also catch up with some old uh, industry friends. Uh, I got to see Mark Bernardo for the first time in, man, years. Uh, a few other people um, that, that I just hadn't seen in a while. So it was, uh, it was good in that respect. And then, and then I had a, almost a full day of just walking around southern Manhattan on what turned out to be probably one of the last uh, late summer days that, that they're probably going to get. And certainly that, that we, <laughs> we will get here. Um, Very nice. But I'm happy to be home and happy to be done traveling. It's been... It's been a pretty intense uh, couple of months kind of going all over the place and I've, it feels good to be rooted here for a while. So Totally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got down to the city um oh, that's probably right. we like passed each other <laughs> less yeah. than 24 hours, significantly less than 24 hours after you left. Um, yeah. I got in first flight on on Friday um working on, you know, we launched this new podcast called Ben Climber Presents. Uh, so I'm helping produce various elements of that. It's a lot of moving pieces, but the audio side and the the part that goes on Hodinkee and and all that falls to me. Uh, so we're working on that and, and additional episodes of that as you're listening to this. We're prepping one that'll come out uh, the day before this episode, I guess, as confusing as that could be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so just, just went down to the city to, uh, to see, uh, oversee episode two, and some other business. And then on the weekend, um, Hodinkee did like a little VIP event sort of thing with um, Fruity Porsche and oh, cool. his sort of FAT group and Porsche design. Yeah. So there's maybe like 15-ish cars. Uh, weather wasn't great on Saturday, but we went out and had a, a pretty fun drive uh, sort of in the uh, you know area north of the city and uh, and some lunch and got to hang out a little bit and see a race car uh, that, that was kind of shipped in from Ren Sport the weekend before out in California. So that, that was pretty fun. And then when did some, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with my family, which was awesome. Absolute highlight of the last little while was, uh, you know, seeing all those folks and that kind of thing. And then, like I said, I, in, uh, in about three hours, I head to the airport to uh, fly overnight to Frankfurt. So uh, I got my neck pillow and just kind of hoping that uh, the seat kind of works out and I'm comfortable enough to get a sl- get some sleep uh, before I land uh, tomorrow morning. And then it's a, a fairly busy schedule for like two days with Leica and then I fly home Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. So back for, back for this weekend. Yeah. But I think I, I gave most of these details in the in the previous episode, so we don't have to go too crazy on it. But yeah, that's the that's the schedule. It's a it's it's one of the busiest weeks of the year. Wow, um, wow. I don't know about you, but sometimes when things are hectic at home, once you get on that flight and and everything kind of shuts down, you put everything in airplane mode, so to speak, uh, including your brain, there's a certain sense of relief almost like you can exhale and be like, all right, well, I, I'm committed to this and, and I really don't have any other option other than just to just to be on the road and, and do my thing and live out of my suitcase. Um, yeah, I mean, in in my case, the only thing that I can do on the flight that isn't working is maybe try and sleep. Yeah, yeah. Just, like I said, just kind of a busy season. But um, sadly, this yeah, this one will be will be kind of uh, packed. You know, any free time will be will be you know emails and phone calls and that kind of thing. So, well, let's uh, let's jump into our main topic. I mean, let's uh, let's move things along here. Um, but before we do, uh, what are you wearing? You, do you have a watch on your wrist that you'll be heading to the airport with? I do. Yeah, I actually, when I was in New York, I grabbed one of the new Unimatic Modelo carbon GMTs that Hodinkee made, the LEs. Oh, yeah, super cool. Yeah, exactly. I've been kind of, um, you know, carbon curious for some time. And this one kind of sits at a new price point. It's kind of a high price point for Unimatic, but a low price point for 
um, a fully carbon watch. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we, I figured I'd give it a, a test run, and I was going to do some traveling. So GMT makes some sense. So I'll take that with me to Germany, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's been good. I wore it this weekend, and it's just like super comfortable, crazy legible because it's just it's white on black. And, uh, and you know, the bezel's pretty nice, and I really like the carbon case. I just threw it on a gray NATO and have really been enjoying it. So, yeah, that's the Modelo Uno U1S-Carbon GMT Limited Edition for Hodinkee. I had to write that down. I, I caught it on uh, <laughs> on your wrist. I was kind of squinting when I was watching the, the teaser for the Ben Clymer Presents that you did with, with Ben. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that was the watch you were wearing. <laughs> I, it didn't look familiar. It didn't look like something from your existing collection. So that's cool. And is this the watch that I believe... Was it Zen was wearing it when we were in Florida yep. with yeah, Tudor? Yeah, Zen yeah, Zen had one on him, yeah. Zen Love, uh, on the Tudor trip. Shout out Zen if you're listening. Yeah. Always nice to see you. And we sat next to each other on the plane and he had it on his wrist and then just kind of get the bug. Yeah. And then last week talking about the carbon doxa and, and that sort of thing. So I definitely, uh, I'm going to, you know, put it through its paces and, and see how it holds up and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a unimatic. It's a, they're pretty solid. And, yeah. And this one being a fairly premium unimatic at that. But right. Should be super handy for uh, for the travel and that sort of thing. And the other thing is they just recently added, this is a little bit nerdy and I talk about flighty maybe too much on this podcast, but they recently added a Apple Watch app for flighty. Oh. So now I can have all the flight details right on, like in the main face for the watch. You don't oh, have to click yeah. into anything. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing, you know, the last, the the flight to and from New York this past weekend and then like to manage the flight. So I'll probably wear the Apple Watch for the flight and yeah. then once I've landed and, and I'm secure and that sort of thing, I'll switch to the other watch so I have something a little bit you know, more watchy than a smart watch. But it's pretty hard to deny the functionality <laughs> of having that right on your wrist, especially, um, yeah. uh, you know, if you're, if it's kind of, a, this is a pretty straightforward itinerary, it's one flight, mm-hmm. but for a busy flight, it's pretty nice just to be able to have that. And and for long flights where you might, like, I'm sure tonight I'll wake up six hours into a seven and a half hour flight or whatever, and you could just glance down and it gives you a little graphic for how soon until you land huh. and what gate you're landing at and all that kind Very of stuff. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, pretty handy. I, I like. It. I continue to be very impressed and and find flight to be quite useful. So that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, possibly not something that's going to surprise the audience, but what I'm I'm guessing, anyways. What What are you wearing uh, this week? Uh, well, yeah, you're right. It's a. I'm, I'm being boring. I'm I'm wearing the the Pelagos uh, FXD. I, I've been trying really hard to say Pelagos. Uh, I think ever since our trip to Florida <laughs> and kind of kicking around like different pronunciations. But uh, I'm going to stick with Pelagos for now. Pelagos FXD. Uh, just having fun with straps over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, I, you know, I really like the, the stock, uh, hook and loop, you know, Velcro, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, olive drab strap that it came on. But now that it's sweater season here, it's not the the perfect choice anymore because of the stickiness and it, it, uh, it, it gets so full of fuzz and kind of sticks to my sleeve. Uh, you know, the Velcro mm-hmm. part of it. Um, so currently actually I moved it on to the, the rubber, the, the single piece rubber that, that comes with it. And you, you, you seldom see photos of it or, or hear about people wearing it on this strap, but it's a, it's a pretty great, uh, rubber strap. So that's, that's where I've got it now. But nice, you know, Tom place wrote me the other day and he said, you know, you might want to consider even trying 20 millimeter straps. It looks okay. It looks better than, than like an understrapped, you know, conventional watch with, with standard spring bars. And, uh, yeah. so I've, I've tried that and we'll, we'll see. It, it certainly would open up cool. more options, but, uh, well, I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, man. yeah. I probably have like a Ziploc bag of 22 mil straps I could say. Oh, no, no, no. I, I have, I have a back. lot. I have, <laughs> I have so many. Yeah. Like single pass yeah. straps that would work. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, carbon Unimatic and uh, a new Pelagos. Not exactly a bad pairing for uh, today's episode, but uh, neither is the brand that we're talking about. The uh, main topic today is kind of our return to what we used to just call like a brand spotlight. We've done, I guess, about four or five of these in the last several years. Right. Uh, Doxa and Seiko and Citizen Rolex, I believe, are all covered. And we were trying to think of like, you know, we want to do another brand spotlight, a brand that we enjoy, a brand we have a history with. Um, and, and we wanted to stay away from some of the brands that we've been talking about constantly in the last little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, you came up with what I think was a, a really good idea to talk about Hamilton. One of the most lovable brands out there, and I, I think a, a really good idea on on your part. So there's there's tons to talk about when it comes to Hamilton. Yeah, and it's strange. Hamilton is a brand that sort of slips off my radar. I don't I don't think about them. They're oh, yeah? not top of mind uh, regularly. And and when I was scrolling through uh, kind of our Slack community to to look for kind of photos and wrist checks and what people are selling and buying and things, 
Um, I didn't see a ton of Hamiltons. Maybe people, you know, keep them uh, or maybe they don't wear them much or whatever. But, you know, I see a lot of Zins. I see Tudors. I see Seikos, of course. Um, but Hamilton is one of those brands. That it, it feels so core and it feels very TGN. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those brands that spans like just the kind of the sweet spot of, of price ranges that, that, you know, you can make mm-hmm. it your first watch or you can make it your 20th watch. And, and they've, they've kind of got something for, for every price range, well, not every price range, but kind of in that, I don't know what you'd say, you know, thousand dollar to, to $2,500 range. So yeah, even, even probably like eight, yeah, like 800, yeah. 2,500 bucks, something like that. And you know, the, the last one of these we did was 199, which was for citizen. I find the Hamilton is a brand that's kind of similar in many ways to a Citizen or a Seiko where they're just they make a very lovable product that has a really strong enthusiast footing Mm -hmm. but within that guys or on top of that they make like a thousand other watches that feel a little bit more just run of the mill that like you know that you would find and maybe see in a a display case at a decent department store and that sort of thing so they have a, a pretty wide variety yeah um I I actually went through before this I I took what I thought would be a few minutes and wasn't uh, to go through essentially the entire current lineup, <laughs> and they make a lot of SKUs, fifty-three pages, unbelievable on their website. Wow, wow! And and I couldn't like say show me fifty watches a page or a hundred watches a page. Like I just there was just the one default option was maybe like twenty watches a page. <laughs> yeah, but that's still like a lot. And I know that was like that's literally showing every version of every Jazzmaster. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go through and get like an idea of where they were right now versus what I remember and that sort of thing. You can definitely go online. There's no reason for us to sit here and tell you the the oral history of Hamilton necessarily. It's a brand that a lot of people have written about. We'll include some of that in the show notes. But I think it is interesting maybe to talk about our history with Hamilton um, because I think when you get into watches, they're kind of maybe that first premium step, like maybe they're your second, your third sort of watch on your radar yeah or at least they were for me i don't want to say that i don't want to project my, kind of my experience to others mm-hmm. um, but certainly when you get into watches i think it's a brand that you find pretty quickly if like if you read up on a list of the best watches under x value there's probably a hamilton in there even if you want to dress watch there's probably a hamilton in there they've you know done some great work in the last several years on kind of neo vintage stuff or vintage inspired stuff whether it be the Jazzmaster line, the Intramatic line, right up into the the khaki uh, mechanical stuff. Uh, so I think there's a lot there. But I'm curious, like, do you do you remember either the first Hamilton that kind of landed on your radar, so to speak, or maybe that was the first one that you got, or or something like that? Because I I remember getting into it pretty early on when you know 2006, 2007, when I was first getting into watches. Yeah, I I kind of skipped over that whole. I I'm not skipped over, but I I I just uh, it was a blind spot for me, and I never really bought like a new Hamilton or, or even a, a pre-owned one when I was getting into watches. But, um, my history with them goes way back and it's because I, I actually have both of my grandfather's Hamilton railroad pocket watches, one of which is from the 1920s. And, um, you know, one of them still runs. It's, it's a beautiful old, uh, uh caliber 992, you know, uh, railroad grade, um, with a, uh, Montgomery style dial and, you know, it's the, the kind of thing I pull out and take the back off just to admire the movement and whatever. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of my first exposure to the name Hamilton. And, you know, I remember back then kind of digging into the history and, and, uh, uh, was, was very impressed with it. And then back when I was writing for gear patrol in my early days, this was way back uh, 10 years ago, actually 2013, I went out to, uh, Pennsylvania and I did a, a pocket watch, uh, servicing class at the, uh, the watchmaking school that's out there. Uh, and then right across the street, of course, is the museum. And then just up the road in Lancaster is, is the old Hamilton factory that is currently an apartment building. And so I wrote a story for gear patrol and it kind of really sort of sunk in, uh, this, this history of the brand. And I think maybe it was subconscious, but it almost sort of built this bit of, uh, not resentment, but the sense of like, oh, you know, Hamilton is this classic old American brand, and I have the, these two family heirloom watches from them, and and now they're this like Swiss brand that is sort of uh, you know co-opting this this American history, and it always used to bother me. Um, but of course, in the late '60s, they they moved operations to Switzerland and were making Swiss-made watches, so it wasn't quite that that black and white of a story. But I never really bought. Uh, kind of the, got into the kind of the khaki field stuff, the mechanicals, like so many mm-hmm. other people have done. Um, did you own one of those? I don't remember you saying that you've had one of those. 
Oh, I've owned I've owned a lot of Hamiltons at this point. I actually had to go back and find like a um, a list I huh. used to keep just just to see. But I, I remember when I was first um, first kind of getting into watches, uh, I was obsessed with the crosswind or the X wind. Oh yeah, you, you tell me yeah. how. I've asked Hamilton before, and you get two <laughs> different answers from two different PR people. Yeah, um, but it's it's the letter X dash W I N D, mm-hmm. and it's these yeah. cool flight chronographs with you know slide rules and. And, you know, lots of cool crowns and they come in a ton of different versions. <laughs> and I just remember thinking they were so cool. And I got one in and it was it was just too big. Right. Like even in the yeah, time when yeah. I was I was wearing 45 millimeter uh, Benarises and stuff like that. This was kind of an extra chunky watch. And, and I think I ended up like selling the X-Wind or the Crosswind for an SNA 411, which is a, a not that much it's a little bit smaller i think it's like 41 or 42 but that's the those seiko flight chronographs you know they made a a black one with the yellow seconds hand they made one that kind of had like tommy hilfiger colors like blue white and red and they made a gold one with a black dial you were really into that sort of navitimer slide reel style back then yeah Yeah, i enjoyed i enjoyed that kind of stuff and but there was something really rad about a an x-wind again crosswind i don't i'm gonna call it a crosswind because it makes sense for flight i guess yeah there's something really cool about the crosswind on like a double rivet leather strap. Yeah. Because it it's obviously modern and it has that sort of brightling appeal of like a modern tool watch. Mm-hmm. But it had it also encapsulated a little bit of like the big pilot flieger sort of look at the same time. And I just remember really and I still like I have one up on my screen as I'm talking and like I still find these to be quite like handsome, good looking watches. They're just too big yeah, for me yeah. at forty five. Yeah. I had an Intramatic. I think I had two Intramatics. Oh, I didn't know that. Those are cool. I love those. Yeah. Yeah, really just beautiful. One came in for review, and then after that, I, I bought or traded in for one with the gold ca- the gold tone case. It didn't last very long. I think I just moved on to another dress watch. I bought a Gerard Perigo, like a vintage GP hand winder. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago and, and traded out if, if I remember correctly. And then on a more common or a, a more modern sense, I've I've gone through... A couple of the um, khaki field mechanicals or khaki field in general, like I had, this is again, before I lived in Vancouver, so we'll call it 2011, a like the titanium 42 millimeter. Sure. Yeah. Which was really good and a watch that they basically still make and that they're now making in 38, which has to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I remember even back in the day, like being low key obsessed with the idea of the khaki king automatic which has the day and the date because uh, Hugh Laurie wore one on house. Oh, okay. There were, I think it, I could have this wrong. I'm sure somebody listening loves house even more than I do. It's been a long <laughs> time since I watched through it, but I think he starts wearing a G-Shock like in the first season and then switches to this or it's the other way around. But I'm pretty sure there's like a good bulk of that show where he's wearing just that standard khaki King automatic. I remember looking at it on like, you know, uh, gray market retailers thinking like, Oh man, three hundred fifty dollars. I don't have three hundred fifty bucks for this watch, but like House has this watch. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I remember really liking that kind of stuff. But yeah, I've gone all down the road. The only Hamilton I have now is the more recent Hodinkee Limited Edition uh, Khaki Field. Oh sure, uh, yeah. mechanical, which yeah. I really like. And uh, and you know, it's 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 a just if if you want that one, I, if you want that one, I like the white dial a lot, and I think I like the Hodinkee LE a little bit better. It just feels a little more special. Yeah. Uh, like you, and I think I think maybe your your way of putting this has kind of like rubbed off on me. But I, I do like having a, a watch that has a bezel mm-hmm. or a something chronograph to or something yeah. to yeah. kind of a function beyond. Like I've never really deeply connected with a field watch. Mm-hmm. It's probably why I didn't buy a Rolex Explorer when I could afford one, but I went with an Explorer too. Yeah, there's just something like a little bit extra complex uh, complexity or a complication, a function, whatever. And I think that's maybe the only thing that would keep something like that um, khaki field mechanical from being like a, a more commonly a more commonly worn piece on my wrist. So just I'm a dive watch guy, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I, I just think it's that's kind of the hole that the brand has. They don't make a great go-to dive watch. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, I, I've warmed up a bit to their more recent uh, Frogman, mm-hmm. the Navy Frogman. Um, it, it's got this kind of sort of crown protection sort of bracket that goes around it which is which is kind of yeah. cool you know those they're neat watches i find them slightly bland but i think i bet mm-hmm. i bet if you own one i bet they're pretty satisfying because you know in my experience hamilton's are 
they're well made. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely well made. Reasonably yeah. accurate. They're, they they wear mm-hmm. well. Um, the strap selections are usually pretty good. So yeah, I mean, until I actually try one in person, I, sh- I should withhold judgment. But um, you're right. I think uh, I think that is a kind of a hole in the collection is the is the dive watch uh, segment. And I, I you know we, we we put on our list of things to talk about. Um, if there's a Hamilton that we wish they would make, um, and we, mm-hmm. I was thinking we can save that till later, but I, if, if there is one that I would love them to make, it is, uh, it is a dive watch and specifically back in the sixties, they, they made this, this, uh, twin crown. I, I'm not sure if it was actually an EPSA super compressor case, but it was in that style, um, with the internal bezel and they called it the Cape horn. And I, I love that name. It's so evocative and they made a couple different versions of it. Um, they made one with kind of a cream or white dial. And then the timing ring was was dark gray or black, mm-hmm. um, just a, a really cool watch. I would love to see them bring bring that back in some form. Uh, you know, they could modernize it a little bit or kind of go the you know Longines uh, with Legend Divers, kind of part of the same Swatch group. Maybe they can piggyback on that or, or borrow yeah. some technology there and, and make something similar. But but those were cool. I think that would be a neat sort of hole to fill in their collection. And who knows? I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. They seem to keep pulling stuff out of their archives and they, they have a deep archive. I mean, you know, when you look at, when you look at, uh, at old Hamilton's, um, the ones that speak to me have always been, you know, of course the pocket watches. Um, but also, you know, they, they did these great field watches, these kind of all the way back to the you know forties and fifties and into the sixties, these, these just basic sort of army field watches. And, and then mm-hmm. they, they went into the, the late sixties and early seventies with, uh, the ministry of defense over in the UK making that sort of tonneau shaped, uh, what they call the W10, which, which is kind of a soldier's watch, like the army watch. Um, and you know, CWC still makes something like that to this day, but, but Hamilton has re-released that and people love it. Um, they've also made the kind of the, what they call the asymmetric or fabulous four, uh, style RAF chronographs that, that say Hamilton on them. I mean, those are great too. Those are the ones that, that kind of call to me and, and, you know, you mentioned the intramatic. And I remember a couple of years ago, they released the Intramatic Chronograph H. Which has some of that styling from the dive watch you mentioned, the super compressor. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, back in the day, this was when I was first getting into, into watches and was on the forums. And kind of my first foray into vintage was actually a Hamilton, what they called the, the Chronograph C, um, that had a, it was a twin register, you know, Landeron 248 driven chronograph with this sort of sunburst silver dial. I think some people call them like a poor man's Hoyer. And to this day, I kind of still wish I had that watch because it was just beautiful and it was a perfect size. And that intramatic chronograph H is, is almost a direct sort of reference to that. So they've been pulling some stuff out and, and, you know, other brands that we've talked about, like a Longines, um, or some of these brands that have these deep, deep archives that, that they pull from, uh, I think Hamilton's one of them. Uh, I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Great, great archive. And, and a lot of a lot of options for watches that I think would work now. And obviously they've made some pretty interesting stuff. Like you can go out and buy a very like authentic to the original Ventura. Oh yeah. Right. Like, well, it isn't really my style, but if you're like that hard into the idea of like a mid century look, or if one of those hits you, or maybe you just really love men in black or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you, you could pick up something like that. And then they make more modern ones. And then there was like, you know, a couple years ago they brought out the PSR, which is that like digital quartz with oh, the red sure. display. Right, right. And like, I think those are really cool. Like I think for a certain person, the idea that you can get, like maybe not for me, if mm-hmm. I'm going to wear a watch with a display, like it's either going to be something like a, an aerospace or a smartwatch. But I think for a certain type of person, for $1,000, the fact that you can get something that looks like this that's made from a great brand, so it doesn't feel like, like a $15 watch yeah. at all. Like it yeah. feel like, this is, I've seen these in person. They're really fun it's really cool to see the breadth that they're able to put together. Like, I think we know them for their field watches, right? Yeah. And then I think there's a, a whole group. If you've been in watches long enough, you know them for their ability to make a pretty classic kind of dress watch that has a name on it that you don't mind wearing. Even at a dressy function, the jazz masters come in a litany mm-hmm. of different versions. There's just, there's so many out there. And I owned, I owned a Viewmatic 40 um, a while ago. I was always kind oh, of tempted yeah. by the GMT, Jazz Masters, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and they still make versions of that now. Uh, honestly, like the the line, they have a lot. They have a lot of winners, but the the one that stands out for me most recently are these thirty eight millimeter khaki field titanium automatics. 
It feels like it doesn't leave a ton on the table, yeah. aside from, again, we said, like, not being a dive watcher or chronograph or something with an additional function. Yeah. But as a platform, one, I think this could very... You could put a bezel on this. Mm -hmm. Make it... Keep it at 38. Keep it at 39. Turn it at... Make a khaki diver. Right. I, like, it's a weird idea. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that the, like, dive watch version of a jazz master in the sea view is also a weird idea. <laughs> yeah, Doesn't mean true. it couldn't work. I remember You those. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, and they still have a couple on their site. They're really actually quite handsome. They have a little bit of like the Zenith Rainbow Diver aesthetic to them, kind of this light touch, elegant dive watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that they've really nailed what they're able to make at like 37 to 40 millimeters in the khaki. And I'd love to see them just kind of even get, just give me a khaki with a 12-hour bezel. Yeah, yeah. Would be so good. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of that, and then, so, then so, it would make a it, great travel watch. Well, and and so, what do you think of of their latest sort of uh, release, which was this this field expedition auto, um, which which has a, a rotating bezel. It has this compass bezel, and it comes in a number of sizes. Um, they, they, there was kind of a big push. I saw a lot of people yeah. went on the the press trip to to Banff and got to try it out, and it kind of popped up on a lot of uh, Instagram feeds in the past couple of weeks. Uh, does that one appeal to you? Not really. Uh, like like not to not yeah. to any the 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 bezel the the compass bezel yeah like what am I what am I supposed to use that for? I would either clip a compass onto the strap yeah whereas yeah. that could have been an elapsed time bezel and you'd have a pretty nice looking dive watch or it could have been a twelve hour bezel and you have a pretty nice looking like these are good looking watches for a fair price I'm seeing thirteen hundred bucks Canadian for the thirty seven millimeters yeah. the website of course is not, is not loading when right when I needed to. Um, but yeah, I saw these and I thought like, well, the, the, that screams like a bezel we didn't actually intend on you using. Mm. Whereas I want some, I want them to make a bezel where they go, well, we put this on exclusively because we want people to use it. So right. it's a 12 hour bezel on our lapse time bezel. You take your pick. Um, otherwise I think these are nice looking watches. I think that the standard khaki automatics and mechanicals are kind of a better looking watch, uh, in terms of proportions and the hand design. Yeah. But I think all told, these are nice, handsome looking watches. I just don't really understand compass bezels as an enthusiast product. Yeah, yeah. I get that it speaks to the idea of exploring and using a compass, but no, I don't think to the people who are actually exploring or, or wanting to use a compass. Like I just think there's other things they could have printed on the bezel for exactly the same money that would have been more useful. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. And I certainly can't blame somebody getting excited about it. Nice sizes, good looking watch. I think the price makes sense, but... I would have trouble buying this over a titanium 38 millimeter khaki. Right, right. I, I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at the khaki field mechanical. <laughs> They're all called the same thing, so it's hard to distinguish. But mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's the one with the the, the blacked out case. I'm, I'm assuming it's a, you know PVD or, or DLC or something, but uh, on a gray NATO with black hardware. I mean, it's, it's a pretty serious looking watch. It has a bit of Fotina to the hands and markers, but it's it, it immediately kind of when I look at it, it reminds me of an IWC I like, and that's like the, you know, it's like a Mark whatever they're up to now, a Mark eighteen or something in in a black case, and and just with that stark sure. sort of white on black, mm -hmm. you know, dial markings with with a black case. It's it's a very serious looking watch. I I think the the feel mechanical. I think going back to that earlier discussion about having something to play with, I think I would get bored with this, and I I agree with you on the compass bezel on that expedition, I think that wouldn't quite do it for me. I mean, you can sit and spin the bezel, but it's just, I, I would never use it. And, and in this day and yeah. age, nobody's using, uh, you know, kind of an analog compass at all, but it does go to show what they could do with a bezel on, on the mm -hmm. field mechanical. So, you know, hope springs eternal. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. And also the, the other thing that we talk about with some frequency when we're suggesting what we think a giant brand should do. And Hamilton's just that a huge brand. Yeah we'd only be suggesting what a small group of enthusiasts really want. They have market research that would suggest that what people want is this sort of aspirationally exciting, adventurous watch. And that includes, in this case, the you know compass bezel. But I mean, I've seen Alpina go down this route with the 360 degree bezel yeah. on the Alpiner stuff in the past. And it's just like, I just look at it as a bit of a missed opportunity to just either put a dive bezel on it and give it 200 meters of water resistance and let people just you know, beat on them for the next decade because they're nice mechanical watches mm -hmm. or put a 12 hour bezel on it and just have a great watch. Like you got to travel. You don't maybe, maybe the, in this current climate, you don't want to take one of your other watches. There's nowhere in the world where Hamilton's wrong. Right. Right. 
They're cool watches. If I see Hamilton on somebody at a uh, airport bar, I go, ah, oh, that guy must like watches or, 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 you know, at least, Hey, you picked a good one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good brand. It's a brand I like seeing on my wrist for sure. Right. And, and I just think they, the, the value statements arguably maybe never been stronger for the brand since they really figured out what people wanted in the khaki king in the khaki field mechanical yeah and now it feels like they're just kind of leaning into that and finding new alternatives and and some of them i think will be for kind of core enthusiasts of of hamilton and watches and some will be more for more generalist audiences Mm -hmm. are are you a fan of i I see so much about the murph kicking around people want it people have it are you a fan of that one do you like that one people go crazy for it but it it doesn't really do that much for me i think in that vein i would lean towards that cool 36 millimeter pilot pioneer mechanical yep yeah with that sort of cwc style case and the bright dial and the rest of it um i i think the the murph is a is a neat watch but maybe just like from an aesthetic standpoint it's not exactly what i'm looking for yeah I like the simplicity of the field watch um, and the Murph with the cathedral hands feels a little bit um, instead of being say mid century, it's kind of before that. Right. Yeah. It feels like a watch that came before, uh, you know, world war two in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rather than during or shortly after. Right. Um, and I, I, I mean a great watch and people just went nuts for the original and then now <laughs> you can get it in 38 and people went nuts all over again. So I get it. And anything that people are going crazy for, I don't have to, doesn't necessarily have to be for me. I'm just happy people are pumped about watches. Yeah, yeah. And, and watches that, one, you don't have to get in line or wait two years to buy or spend three times as much on the secondary market. Like, I think if you want a Murph, you can probably just call around and find one, mm-hmm. would be my guess anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. We see them, you see them on forums for sale and that kind of thing. So I think they're out there and around. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that in, you know, my top five uh, right. from the brand necessarily. You know, we talk so much about, you know, it often comes up in Q&A, like I have this budget, I'm buying a watch for a groomsman, I, you know, mm-hmm. looking for a second watch or a travel watch or whatever. And so often the, the knee-jerk reaction is, you know, go Seiko, go Seiko or go micro brand. Um, I've overlooked yep. these. I mean, when in those discussions, I, off, I often neglect to think about uh, Hamilton. I, I think you're, they're more in your line of sight than mine, but I'm just looking at this, uh, the pilot pioneer mechanical, the one you just mentioned, you know, I, I've got the, it's a cool watch. I've got the Malore, the CWC Malore, which is a very similar watch, but like this is $895 and it's a solid Swiss made, mm-hmm. you know, watch from a, from a well-known brand that you, you can pretty well count on it. It's going to do well for you. And if it doesn't, um, don't oh, probably stand so. behind it. So yeah. Um, yeah, these are good options. This is, I don't want to, I hesitate to use the term Seiko killer, but you know, it's a nice alternative to, to what Seiko is doing these days. And like if Seiko wants to operate in the $1,000 to $2,000 space, they have to they have to keep up with Hamilton. Yeah. Who's been there for a while yeah. and has actually started to like almost push down mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. with the with the mechanicals. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is, is like you don't have to want a field watch or a chronograph or a dive watch. They actually make a really gorgeous, it was in the most recent Indiana Jones, I think, the Dial of Destiny. Okay. It's called the American Classic Bolton in quartz. Hmm. And if you're going to get a dress watch, I don't know, like buy a vintage one that, you know, you wear for an evening and you don't care if it runs plus 10 yeah, right, minutes. Right. Or or just have a nice quartz one that you could put a bunch of different straps on. I'm not wild about the, the stock strap yeah. on this watch. But if you want a sort of tonneau style tank adjacent sort of um, pre-war dress watch and I think the fonts on the the markers that are, are or the indices are really nice the mm-hmm. Arabic markers yeah and I, the kind of curvy case is cool and the very minimal dial text is great they make one with a silver dial and the rest is gold it's a nice look and again like under a thousand dollars that may be a little bit heavy for quartz but really in like for a nice brand with a cool looking watch with a kind of a vintage vibe I think you could spend similar on an old, you know, uh, a vintage watch and then, you know, have to pony up to make sure that it keeps running, which is also par- part of the charm. I'm not saying one's necessarily the right decision and one isn't, but I think this is a viable option. Nice looking watch. Yeah. I remember, you know, years ago, uh, whenever I would kind of write these, these articles, especially for Gear Patrol about uh, alternatives or, you know, entry level watches or, or dress watches, the, the one that would pop up was always the the intramatic. Cause I remember when that came out, I was quite smitten yeah, with it and I was very tempted by it, but I, I know, you know, knowing myself now even better than I did back then, I know this isn't a watch that I would 
wear very often. So I think your, your idea of, of finding something vintage that would look largely the same as something like this is a better sure. route to go. But, you know, I'm looking here and, and even the one on the bracelet, which isn't the aesthetic I would prefer, but it's just a hair over a thousand dollars on the, on the leather strap. They're like, you know, 945 or something. And, and mm-hmm. they're, they're just so simple. They have that bit of, um, bit of a max bill look. Um, but, but really what they're hearkening yeah. back to is just a, you know, a Hamilton from the sixties. Um, really, really sharp. That intramatic kind of dropped right when people were in like full Mad Men fever. Oh yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden we had the Viso date from from Tiso. Yep, yep. And we had the intramatic from Hamilton. It was thirty eight millimeters. It was light. Yeah. It was thin. You could put any strap on it. It was eight hundred dollars. And I feel like that maybe the the focus on the the Don Draper of it all has changed. Mm-hmm. But those watches are still great. Yeah. If you need a dress watch or something dressy, or even just a, a dressier, more elegant take on a watch that could go on almost any strap, yeah, pretty good option. Yeah, I also really like. Uh, I'm sticking with quartz because this this brings us down to it's 500 chf. I'm on the international website. Yeah, um, but the Jazzmaster Thin Line Small Seconds Quartz oh. is a good looking watch. Gray uh, sunburst gray dial, uh, polished markers. Sort of has a um, a JLC vibe to it. Um, but a little bit sharper, a little bit more uh, 60s. I, I just I like these a lot, and it feels like there's a lot of um, a lot, a, just a lot on offer in general mm-hmm. with a watch like this. Like again, it's quartz, so sure, whatever. It's a 40 millimeter case, 50 meters of water resistance, 20 millimeter lugs. So you can kind of do whatever you're looking for, and then it's 7.3 millimeters thick. Yeah, like yeah. if you're going to go quartz, at least get the benefit of it. Right. Not right. too bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, you could put that on a few different straps. Maybe, oh, maybe the other watch that I'm thinking of is it's it's a little bit Portugueser. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, IWC with yeah. the with the sort of defined Arabic numerals on an otherwise sort of dressy watch. The sub seconds, the sharp hands. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, they, yeah. they really have. Like I said, like I, I kind of teased or or even derided them at the top for having so many skews. But the outcome is they have a lot of gems in there. Mm-hmm. Some of which I don't think people you don't ever see kind of in watch Instagram or, or, or otherwise, at least not, not in my view. Right. Yeah. And, and as I'm scrolling through them, I look and, and most of them are handsome watches. I, I, I wince a little bit when I see a lot of these kind of, uh, you know, skeleton ones, I, I think they, they don't have the, the appeal. I think they're, they're just not, that's not like the trend right now, but these things come and go, right. The, the skeletonized thing. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that, they're not necessarily people that would listen to an episode of TGN about Hamilton. But <laughs> yeah. my guess is there are people out there who got out of university, got a Hamilton, and just kind of stuck with the brand. Yeah. Because you can go in almost any direction you want. If you're happy with Hamilton, you have a retailer you like, that sort of thing, like you could be done. Right. And have four Hamiltons in your lifetime. Maybe you've got one that's a dress watch that's a little bit older, you got it as a graduation gift, you have your everyday. And then maybe just recently you came across, oh, the khaki field mechanical. This is great. I was listening to one of my one of my favorite podcasts uh, recently is a comedy podcast called Are You Garbage? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a fantastic title. Two of my favorite. It's literally one of my most favorite pieces of, of media. If you listen to it, it's not family friendly. So keep it to yourself. It's probably not for the kids. But it is great. And, and the one of the two hosts, he always wears a citizen. And then he was on vacation recently and and spoke about picking up a hamilton i was like that's perfect yeah yeah i I like when i see these things pop up i like that they show up in christopher nolan movies i like that they show up occasionally on things like this podcast host with uh, h foley and that sort of thing but uh, i i uh, i do like hamilton maybe more than my collection of hamilton watches would suggest yeah and and you know you talk about you know you could start and finish with hamilton if if you were (laughs) of that mindset and it's just like you could seiko right or citizen yeah and 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 this is a brand that, you know, you, you can go dress watch, you can go beater, you can go field mm-hmm. watch, you can go whatever, chronograph, and then you can go vintage. And and the vintage options are just massive. I mean, just absolutely massive. I mean, they were founded in 1892. You can go pocket watch, you can go, you know, British military watch, you can go World War II, you can go, I mean, I personally have, have had this long-term sort of quest or interest in in finding like an affordable marine chronometer in in its wooden box to oh, kind of cool. keep on my desk, you know, the, the, I think they were called the, the model 21, um, that, that mm-hmm. were on so many thousands of, of ships during world war two and earlier, um, our, our buddy Tom Boucher, uh, from Hassler instruments has one. And, and I think when I first actually met Tom in person, 
uh, he invited me over to his house and he has his, he, he built like a little jig or a little stand that he can actually, you know, remove the movement from the box and like display it uh, on a tabletop. And it's, I mean, they're things of beauty. And I, I think, you know, with, mm-hmm. with these old pocket watches, you could go Marine chronometer, you could go British military, or you can go like, um, my buddy Myron, who, uh, collects the, what he called the, um, the confusing fall warbler collection. That was his kind of term for the, all these that looked alike, but they were all old Hamiltons yeah. that were great story, you know, co-branded with, um, LL Bean and, and Orvis and some other, other companies over the years. And, and like, like you don't have to put a lot of money into it. And so you can, you can go modern Hamilton, you can go vintage, uh, you know, across the board. So yeah, really, really a great brand. I'm, I'm really glad we, we settled on Hamilton this week because it, it kind of reawakened my interest in them as well. Um, but I haven't just scrolled through their website in, in ages. So this is this is fun. I you know, I don't want to be just praising them. I do really like Hamilton. I think they really own a price point in a certain type of watch. I do really wish that they would make a great dive watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I don't think that we need Hamilton to make an SKX competitor mm-hmm. or a Seiko five competitor, but I think there's no reason that that when we talk about something like an SPB 143 or a Citizen Challenge diver, yeah. that we shouldn't also be saying, oh, and also the new Hamilton Frogman, whatever. Right, right. I just think they're so close, right? And and for a long time, Longines was so close, and it feels like they're starting to hit yeah. on on a certain type of watch. And the, the new Hydra Conquest in GMT is very promising, and I really hope we see something with the same kind of level of execution and style and the rest of it from Hamilton. And, and I, I really genuinely, I like you, I'm sure there's people who are rolling their eyes or laughing or saying like, this is an insane concept, but I do think like a, a khaki diver of some sort would be, would mm-hmm. be great. Yeah. And they've got the name. I mean, Frogman, what a great, what a great name Frog for a dive a watch. Name. It's the best name. Like, yeah, yeah, we can hold out hope. Yeah. That'd be great. So is that your, is that your dream watch? We, we had that kind of as a talking point here. Oh yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. I think I would love to see the, the, something like, basically I'm saying they should make a, a Pelagos 39 that, you know, mm-hmm. like fo- just follow that formula. Right. And, and I could not be a bigger broken record to everybody who's saying like, wow, it only took him 48 minutes to say Pelagos 39. <laughs> I get it. I do. But it, it is also like a formula that I think any brand could essentially exercise. Yeah. Tudor did it in their way. And I think Hamilton's already doing it mm-hmm. with that 38 millimeter khaki auto in titanium. Yeah. It just needs a bezel. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know that it necessarily needs to be a dive bezel. I think they could ease their way into it. Give me 100, 150 meters screw down crown mm-hmm. and a 12 hour bezel. And I think we've got like a pretty banging watch. Yeah. It would still feel like a, like a field watch, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the Marathon, you've got the Benris. There's lots of field watches that have great water resistance and 12-hour bezels. Right. So I don't think they'd be defying anything, but I do think just give me one more thing that it can do. Make it the great a great $1200 travel watch. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I, and then I think you have something undeniable for a certain type of enthusiast, right. myself included. Yeah. Yeah. Hamilton, man. Yeah. Good one. But we definitely didn't get to absolutely everything, and I'm sure you guys know what I'm about to say. I would love to continue the conversation about great Hamiltons, old, new, ones we maybe didn't see as I clicked through 53 pages of watches or whatever. <laughs> um, let us know on the Slack. Hit us up. We'll start, a, we'll start a thread in the episode chat channel. You can always send us an email if you've got a favorite Hamilton, one that you think we miss, one we should know about, or if there is a one with a 12-hour bezel in the past that I should I should have my on my radar and, and maybe snap up secondhand, you let me know at thegraynado at gmail.com or in the Slack if you're a supporter. We're having a good time. We're well into uh, over a 1,000 people in the Slack, and it's just it's it's a really – it's kind of like my treat at the end of the day to go through and try and catch up a little bit. I keep on top of the threads like when people mention me. Yeah. I'll go in and reply and do that kind of thing during the day. But at the end of the day, when I'm, I'm kind of winding down, I'll, I'll, I'll go through and just look at everything that's highlighted as having new posts. Mm-hmm. And I'm always learning something. I'm always finding something new. The perspectives are great. We're having some fun in there. So I, I highly recommend it if that sounds like a good time. If you want yet another social media platform, I promise you this one is kind and, and loving and full of very supportive people. And, and if you occasionally want a great deal on a watch, the buy, sell trade channels is, is, is uh, really popping off these days. So swing by the Slack or send us an email if you have a, a big thought about Hamilton or otherwise. And I, I guess with that in mind, we should just jump right into some final notes, eh? Yeah, I think you should go first. I think uh, it might be Hamilton adjacent. I, I'm guessing your final note uh, might ha- even feature some Hamiltons in it, whether you know uh, obvious or not. 
Yeah, so this is one I'm actually pretty excited about. I saw uh, the news come out about three weeks ago that Band of Brothers had been added to Netflix US. So if I'm, I'm, I would say I'm a Band of Brothers acolyte. For a long time, I, I basically watched it once a year. And then for a little while, uh, for a couple years, uh, right until kind of the first or second year of the pandemic, I would watch the entire series on Remembrance Day. Oh, wow. That's a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 10 hours. So, I mean, you've got to, but like, you, I mean, Remembrance Day is a whole day. Yeah. And really, there's only one point in the day where you have to do something. Maybe you go down to the Cenotaph and, and check out one of the the proceedings. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, in Canada, Remembrance Day is, is November 11th. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, Jason, you guys have two days, right? You have... Um, we have Memorial Day back in May. Then we have Veterans Day. And then, yeah, Veterans Day is the one that we have coming up here. Uh, uh, on- obviously, Veterans Day is for... Uh, appreciating veterans memorial day is for appreciating those who pass in a war correct yep right so i think your memorial day is closer to our remembrance day ah sure yeah Yeah. and canada takes it pretty seriously it's actually something i I genuinely it's one of my favorite things about being a canadian and living in canada the uh, huge proceeding that would go on november 11th in the morning with a moment of silence at 11 o'clock in vancouver was great occasionally they would do a flyby they would fire a cannon I feel very strongly about this being something that once a year everybody can do, and it's a nice holiday uh, of observance. As a kid, I would go with my dad to the Warplane Heritage Museum in Hamilton, and they would do uh, different events, and there was a local... I grew up in a little town called Caledonia in Ontario, and they would do an event at 11, you know, vets in attendance and that sort of thing. I, I think very strongly about this, and and I think that there's something about Band of Brothers especially that doesn't sugarcoat anything about war, mm-hmm. but also gives you a slightly different perspective on the camaraderie, on the experience, on a certain element of, of World War II. And obviously, it, it does follow a very narrow path of one, one outfit, the 101st yeah. uh, paratroopers. But I, I couldn't recommend this more, and I don't think it's something that's been on Netflix before. So you would have otherwise needed... I don't know if you remember what the DVD set was like. It came in an ammo in an ammo can. I've got that actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it, your your option in Canada is to have what's called Crave, which I believe is just called HBO Max, pretty much or Max everywhere else. Uh, we call it Crave. I don't know why, <laughs> um, but that it's on there. If you're in Canada, you can get a Crave subscription, regardless of whether or not it's Crave or Netflix. Even if you, I would just say if you've never seen Band of Brothers, sign up for one month and watch Band of Brothers. It's October 10th today, which means you have a, a month before November 11th yeah. to get in on it. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's too much for any person to watch in a month. I mean, it's easily one of my most favorite pieces of media ever made. And the number of people that are in it that have become huge since yeah. then are is, is always entertaining to go back and see Fassbender playing a role with six lines, <laughs> James McAvoy with five lines, Jimmy Fallon with one yeah, line. yeah. You know, you see some, and then of course, where Damian Lewis's career is gone, and um, Ron Livingston's career, and you know, there's it's endless. The, the show's full of incredible actors, uh, so I, I can't recommend it enough. Strongest possible recommendation from the James side of the show to check out Band of Brothers. And if you're in the U.S. and have Netflix, or just check your local Netflix. I had to check and make sure it wasn't on Canada, but it might have been added somewhere else but if you're in the u.s and on netflix and you haven't seen band of brothers i highly recommend it and it's the right time of year to watch it yeah i'm actually glad uh, you brought this up and i'm glad it's on netflix now because i, I do have that that uh, uh ammo tin uh set of dvds that it's just you know it it, it takes that extra step to swap the, di- the discs every time and whatever and I actually i think i bought it for my dad years ago um dad if you're listening you can have it back anytime um and i sort of reclaimed it and and had started watching it uh, years ago and then just sort of set it aside. So being on Netflix, it sort of removes an obstacle. And uh, yeah, I could see I could see kind of binging through this one between now and uh, November 11th. So good call. Totally. And the plus is I don't even have a DVD player yeah. anymore. I still have those DVDs somewhere, yeah. but I don't have a DVD player. There's not one on my computer. Yeah. So yeah, that's my suggestion. Uh, I think everybody should watch it. Uh, crucial, crucial viewing. It's a beautiful story. Uh, and if you're not crying at the end of episode 10 there's something wrong with you for sure. What have you got this week? I also have a Netflix suggestion. Um, this is a movie that just popped up in my feed and I watched it immediately. Uh, and it's called 
I think the title's rather unimaginative, um, and it's a it's a translation from German anyway. But it's um, Race to the Summit. Uh, this is a, a documentary about um, this rivalry that developed between the now late uh, great uh, mountaineer and, and speed climber Uli Steck. And you know Uli Steck was this. They called him the Swiss Machine. He was known for setting all of these incredible climbing records, uh, both kind of rock climbing and and mountaineering. Uh, and then this young kind of upstart uh, guy who who wasn't really well known and still isn't. I, I hadn't actually heard of him before this, uh, named Danny Arnold, D A N I Arnold, mm-hmm. uh, another uh, Swiss climber who kind of idolized Uli Steck. Um, and then sort of he he was a mountain guide. He also <laughs> he had this kind of a day job as well, but he was a mountain guide. And he just decided he was going to start kind of speed climbing himself. And he ended up. Uh, beating uh, Uli Steck's record up the Eiger. Hmm. Um, wow. Then he ticked off the Grand Jurasse, which is another um, epic kind of North Face climb in France, uh, as well as the Matterhorn. And he currently holds the speed records for, I guess, a bunch of North Face's uh, climbs in the Alps, uh, with the exception of the Eiger, because then uh, Uli Steck actually went back and reclaimed uh, the record for himself. And we're talking... Uh, bottom to top of the Eiger in a little over two hours. Goodness sakes. The Matterhorn, I believe the record is now, if not under two hours, just a hair over two hours. I mean, it, it, it's it's unfathomable to consider these times when you think about what, what you might do in two hours' time. Yeah. Isn't there something kind of beautiful about the fact, like, let's say it, like we didn't look this up, or I didn't look this up. Yeah. If the you said it was Matterhorn is, two, is roughly two hours? Yeah, yeah. So, so is the fastest possible um, marathon. Yeah, currently. right. Yeah. Like the, I mean, that's, the, what's the, I know it's just coincidence. Yeah. And and yeah. I'm attributing more to it than, than maybe there needs to be, but that's kind of interesting. Yeah. This yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, really amazing. And, and uh, there, there was a bit of controversy uh, between the two um, you know, that came out of, came out in the media. And of course, Uli Steck, uh, you know, died tragically uh, over in the Himalayas. Um, and it was, it was interesting to watch because I, I, become friendly with a, a, a very good friend of Uli Steck's years ago. Gashani and I went over to Switzerland and, and took part in this mountain sports photography workshop that was run by uh, husband and wife team, Dan and Janine Patitucci. And Dan Patitucci was a good friend of Uli Steck's and was on the expedition where where he died. And, and he was interviewed a couple of times in this movie. And so it was interesting to see him pop up in it as well. But, um, you know, if you're into as we are, and as we talk about quite a bit, these, these climbing documentaries, whether it's, you know, Valley Uprising or Free Solo or Meru, um, you know, I'm not saying this is on the same level as a Meru, but it's a fascinating story and it's some great climbing footage. And I, I still get chills. I remember years ago watching this, this footage of Uli Steck just like running up the Eiger with two ice axes and crampons and unroped. Incredible. Um, up this big kind of steep snow field and it's, it's, it's just uh, awe inspiring. So, um, race to the summit. So yeah, check it out. A couple of, couple of good Netflix, uh, suggestions from us this week. Absolutely. Race to the summit and band of brothers. Uh, I think obviously <laughs> band of brothers, but fairly well known. I'm sure many of you have already seen it, but race to the summit's brand new to me. So yeah. I'm going to see if I can download that before I jump on this flight. Um, I think that's an episode, eh? I think so. Yeah. Good one. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or even consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab yourself a new and maybe even grab yourself a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. Music throughout is of course Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you this quote from Seth Godin, who said, A brand is the set of expectations, memories, stories, and relationships that, taken together, account for a consumer's decision to choose one product or service over another.